You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. So I I believe this is the last in your series on spiritual leadership. And uh, as Brother Chris said, you've looked at a number of Old Testament characters and the Lord Jesus last week in terms of their spiritual leadership. And today we're going to focus particularly on Paul and the, uh, the system of ecclesial uh, structure which he helped to set up. Of course, it was not his plan. It was all part of God's plan, wasn't it, to have the ecclesia established in this way. Uh, and the importance of eldership in ecclesial life in the first century and some things for us to think about as well today. So here's how we're going to go through it. We're going to look uh, at a brief recap of something you have already seen. Um, I believe you had Brother Stephen Hole here a number of months ago doing uh, a class on uh, desiring the office of a bishop. So I'm not expecting you to remember any of that because I'm sure that was months ago. Uh, But we are going to take some of Brother Stephen's slides and use them as part of our uh, consideration this evening. He did the same at Shirley before I gave this talk at Shirley. So I feel uh, no shame in admitting I've borrowed some of his material as a recap. Uh, just to refresh our minds. We're going to also consider the importance of elders in ecclesial life and particularly uh, the emphasis given to that role by the Apostle Paul, among others. And we're going to go through Titus chapter 1 and see what that says about elders and uh, how else they're described here in Titus chapter 1. We're going to consider the question of how old does an elder need to be? That was the question we had uh, when we looked at this subject at Shirley. And it was a helpful one to think about. And I hope I've got um, somewhat of an answer anyway uh, for you before we consider finally an Old Testament worked example. And you'll be relieved to hear it's not one you've considered so far in your series. So hopefully we'll be uh, touching on some new material there as well. So uh, a brief overview of elders or shepherds or uh, overseers um, in the New Testament. We get these words used to describe positions of ecclesial leadership, don't we? These three uh, words, overseer, elders and shepherds. And actually, it seems they are different aspects of the same role. So if you are an elder, you are also a shepherd and you are also uh, an overseer. So we read in Titus chapter 1 there, about uh, ordaining elders in every city, and those elders are then said to be bishops who have to be blameless, aren't they? And Paul calls the elders of the Ecclesia of Ephesus together before he leaves them for the final time, and he says, Take heed therefore to yourselves and to the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to feed the Ecclesia of God. So the elders are the ones who have the oversight and are the shepherds, the feeders of the ecclesia of God. That word shepherd is just the word for feed in the New Testament and the Old Testament. And then finally, Peter, he says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. Um, So we should have in our minds that bishops... Overseers, uh, elders and shepherds are the same role, but different aspects and different characteristics are being shown within that role by that one person who performs that. And we're going to investigate what those different characteristics and those different aspects are 
as we go through. So, we don't often use the word bishop, do we, uh, in our uh, in Christadelphian circles? But it is a Bible word here. We have it a number of times, don't we? Um, but we could more easily translate it and understand it, I suppose, by using the word overseer. So we have it here in Titus chapter 1, verse 7. The bishop must be blameless as the steward of God. And we have the English word bishop, but, but basically it's, a, it's almost a transliteration. It's almost a word we've just borrowed straight from the Greek and just made it easy to, to pronounce for ourselves. So we've got the Greek word episkopos or something like that. Uh, and you can see that uh, eh, the, uh, the bishop is like the episkopos, um, which is literally the word for overseeing or oversight. Um, and we find it in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 2. Maybe we could just flick over there. This is what a bishop does. Um, and it might be uh, more helpful to think of a bishop like this. Oh, it's undoubtedly more helpful to think of a bishop like this than it would be to think of it uh, in terms of the, the sort of bishop you get in a Roman Catholic church. Um, so the, a bishop is said to uh, feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. So that word oversight is basically the word for bishop that we've got in Titus. It's someone who looks out for the flock, oversees it to look to its welfare. We also find it in uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Come over there, please, with me. This word oversight, or this bishop word again. So this is a general instruction to the ecclesia. Um, verse 12 says, Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is, be, which is lame be turned out of the way, but rather let it be healed. So there's this sense of encouragement, isn't there, for those who are weak within the ecclesia, those who are failing at that moment. Make it uh, so that they can walk along that straight and narrow way. Verse 14, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently lest any man should fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau. So the instruction to the ecclesia here, uh, the Hebrews, is you all need to perform this role in some way, which is looking diligently, having the oversight. And that involves helping people along that straight and narrow way to life, and trying to remove things which get in their way. Uh, removing that uh, root of bitterness which can defile many. Uh, removing uh, that sense of fornication or profanity among the members of the ecclesia. Uh, so a bishop is someone, an elder, an overseer, is someone who looks out for the members of the ecclesia and spots who's in danger of falling into that trap. And we're going to see some more examples of that from Titus and the Old Testament character we mentioned a bit later on. So what else does this uh, role of shepherd or bishop involve? Um, there's quite a lot on this slide. We'll go through uh, it a little bit at a time as it's probably quite tricky to read from there. Um, so as we said, a shepherd is an overseer. A shepherd is an elder. They're the ones who feed the flock of God, as Paul 
said to those at Ephesus. Um, And a shepherd, as we read throughout Scripture, is one who guides and protects. They uh, find the way to go, don't they? To lead uh, the sheep to green pastures and to lie down by still waters. And they protect them with with the rod and the staff, as does God. We think about David, don't we? Uh, who delivers the the lamb out of the the paw of the lion and the bear when they come to take it from the flock. That's the shepherd's role, isn't it? To protect that flock from the wolves who are coming to uh, devour it. We've already read 1 Peter chapter 5, but the, uh, the elders there are instructed to feed the ecclesia of God. Um, we'll see what that means a bit later on. Um, it won't take much working out, I'm sure. Let's go over to Acts chapter 20, where we read about Paul uh, speaking to those elders at Ephesus. So Acts 20, verse 28, he says to them, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. There's that bishop word again. Uh, You notice they're called elders again in verse 17. Um, He's made you overseers to feed the ecclesia of God which he's purchased with his own blood or the blood of his own. Um, And verse 35 tells them what they are to do again. I've showed you all things, how that so labouring ye ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it's more blessed to give than to receive. So take heed to the flock. That is the message Paul gives to them, isn't it? Be wary, careful for them, and support them. Uh, Give to them. This isn't a role that's taken on lightly, is it? Uh, We will read shortly in 1 Timothy 3 how it's a good work for a bishop uh, to take on that work, but it is one that requires care. Um, We think about maybe think about the Apostle Paul as sort of a, a super shepherd or super bishop over. Lots of ecclesias, not just one. And we remember how he says, don't we, that what came upon him daily was the care of all the ecclesias. Every single day he was taxed with the, uh, the care of the ecclesias to whom he had preached. Come over to First Timothy then, where we read about the, uh, the bishop. We have this list, don't we, of, of characteristics in First Timothy chapter 3 about what a bishop should be like. If you desire the office of a bishop, you desire a good work, it says in verse 1. And then it says, if you're going to do that, you have to have these characteristics. Uh, It's not a case that you can have some of them or uh, you can just take it on lightheartedly. You have to have these characteristics in order to perform that bishopric role. Um, And verse 5 gives us a really important piece of information here. It says, if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the ecclesia of God? And here's that, uh, that shepherding role again, isn't it? Um, the shepherd who has his rod, uh, which guides the sheep and you know, occasionally disciplines them, but also uh, the staff, which is there for support and, uh, and safety, to take care of the ecclesia of God. Um, We'll consider a bit more about the, uh, the house of the bishop in a moment as well. Come over the page to 1 Timothy 5, verse 17. Again, we read about the elders here. 
And it, again, they said to rule, which is a, a word we might be uh, a little uncomfortable using about ecclesial leadership, might we? They're not, they're not rulers over the ecclesia. Well, elders in the New Testament, bishops, uh, shepherds, did rule over the ecclesia of God. Uh, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honour, especially they who labour in the word and doctrine. And I think that teaches us something very important, doesn't it? It's not their rule, it's not their doctrine that is uh, being taught in the Ecclesia, it's God's. It's God's word, it's God's doctrine that is taught. That's the means by which they rule in the Ecclesia. They're not doing it for uh, themselves uh, or of their own uh, understanding. They're doing it to make decisions for the Ecclesia about the word of God and using that to rule. And it's that sound doctrine which Titus speaks about, isn't it? Sound doctrine which is used to exhort and to convince. So a key part of this eldership, bishop, shepherd role is a teaching role, isn't it? Uh, teaching the ecclesia about how to go, to exhort them, to convince them, to stop the mouths of false teachers, as Titus 1 also says. So it's identifying false doctrine and putting a stop to that in the ecclesia when it arises, uh, making provision for it not to arise in the first place. And we've already read that verse in Hebrews chapter 12, haven't we? Keeping an eye out for your flock, spotting those who are falling behind the rest of the sheep, uh, straying from the path, taking the oversight, lest any fail of the grace of God. And we also find this bishop word in James, and it's one you'll be very familiar with, uh, but James chapter 1 verse 27 uses that word bishop uh, or take the oversight, and it applies it to visiting. So we read in James chapter 1 about true religion and undefiled before God and the Father. And it says it's this, to visit the fatherless and the widow in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So a bishop isn't someone who sits back uh, as an overseer, pointing the finger of judgment and is completely uninvolved in the flock. It's someone who is there with the flock, visiting them, hands-on. Uh, that day-to-day -day care is evident in that, uh, that person's life. Uh, we also find it used about God himself in Luke chapter 1. Remember when Zacharias rejoices at the birth of John the, ba or the, the, birth of John the Baptist and he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who's visited and redeemed his people to give them a horn of salvation in the house of his servant David. Um, so that visit word is to go there physically, to be there to help that person, but it's also to make sure salvation is given to that person, as God did in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he visited his people, he gave them the Lord, didn't he, to save them. That was how God visited them. That's how shepherds can visit uh, the ecclesia to provide that salvation for them when they are in need. So that's what uh, eldership, bishopric, uh, shepherding involves in the New Testament, or partly. There's obviously so much more we could go into in detail, but those are some of the key themes we could look at. So how crucial a, ro a role is this in the Ecclesia? Is it something we can just dismiss as something of, you know, first century, uh, no consequence to us? Well, I suggest not at all. Um, it seems to be a crucial job in establishing ecclesias in the first century. So if you come over to Acts chapter 14, please, here is Paul 
um, on his first missionary journey. And he goes up into Asia Minor, doesn't he, around those four cities, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, preaches to them, baptising, and then he revisits them, doesn't he, to see how they're doing. Um, so, uh, verse 19, he, he goes uh, to Iconium. It says, There came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium, who persuaded the people, uh, this is Lystra, sorry, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. So as Paul is preaching, he is stoned by the Jews, left for dead. And the disciples stand round him, don't they? But straight away, it says he, he rose up and came into the city. Um, it's possible he, was actually, he actually was dead, and he was raised from the dead at that time. That word rose up is the word for resurrection in the, in the New Testament. Um, you could turn back a page to see it used of the Lord when he was raised up from the dead. So Paul has been stoned. He's quite possibly been raised from the dead as well. And he goes back to those cities, verse 21. He returns on his journey back through those uh, three cities again, to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. And verse 23 says the first thing he does after confirming and exhorting them to continue in the faith is, it says, when they had ordained them elders in every ecclesia and prayed with them with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. So the first thing Paul does with these newly converted ecclesias, after exhorting them to continue in the faith, it's going to be hard, as you've seen it in my life, is to ordain elders to ensure that these ecclesias last and have the chance to uh, continue in the faith, having people to teach them how to do that, uh, to exhort them. Remember we saw that was one of the key roles of the, uh, the elders, to exhort uh, their ecclesia. So it's of, a pri of primary importance the Apostle Paul did this. It's one of the first things he did after he was, A, raised from the dead, and B, going back to these ecclesias he just preached to. Um, so it's not something we, I think we can easily dismiss here at all. So then, let's consider some more of the characteristics required. This time, going into uh, to 1 Timothy 3. We've, we've read Titus, haven't we? Titus chapter 1. Let's consider what uh, 1 Timothy 3 says about uh, these bishops, these overseers, elders and uh, compare it to Titus. This is one I've borrowed from Brother Stephen. <clears throat> um, so both of them say you are to be blameless um, and of a good report, i.e. that the ecclesia knows your character is one to be uh, without fault and everyone speaks well of you. It says in verse 2 of 1 Timothy 3 that he has to be a husband of one wife. And the same point is made in Titus as well. Um, if any be blameless, the husband of one wife. So that seems to suggest that bishops have to be, overseers have to be married to one wife. And I don't think it's just saying, as opposed to many wives, I think it's saying you have to be married in order to be a bishop. 
um, it's not discouraging polygamy, it's encouraging marriage as the means, uh, as the key characteristic of, of, an, of an elder. Uh, and the reason for that is because the training for bishopric or, uh, or eldership is in the family home, it seems. Verse 4 of 1 Timothy, uh, Timothy 3 says that he has to be one that ruleth his, well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. And again, the same is said in Titus. Um, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. And the reason is given because verse 5 says, For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the ecclesia of God? If he can't manage his own house and make sure that his children are taught the truth and they are brought up uh, to be faithful, uh, not riotous or unruly, how can he then set an example to the rest of his ecclesia when his own house is in disarray? He has to be married, he has to have children in order to show that he can do that job on a, on a bigger scale and a broader, a broader level. Uh, Titus says that they shouldn't be self-willed, not motivated by themselves at all. Uh, and both Timothy and Titus speak about the need to uh, not be given to wine. They're not to be brawlers, or strikers, it says in uh, verse 7 uh, of Titus chapter 1. And same again in 1 Timothy chapter th uh, 3 uh, and verse 3. Not a striker, which... You can imagine, can't you, when uh, they're trying to stop people teaching false doctrine, um, when they're confronted with those who uh, they need to stop their mouths, the uh, ability to remain calm and patient in that circumstance without getting particularly aggressive is a very helpful one. Um, in, indeed, the, uh, the exhortation is in Timothy, isn't it? Uh, they have to be patient in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. We get the, the, the quality of, of soberness uh, in both Timothy and Titus as well. Uh, again, that isn't speaking uh, about soberness as we would understand it today. Uh, you know, a lack of uh, alcoholic intoxication. More that is self-controlled and is able to regulate the way they deal with, uh, with people. Uh, and then the last two uh, on the screen there again come back to this idea of teaching, don't they? First uh, Timothy chapter 3, verse 9. Uh, um, I've got the wrong reference there. Um, go to Titus, shall we? Uh, Titus chapter 1, verse 9 says, Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, um, that he may by, be by able, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. So the ability to hold the word of life uh, and stick to it and also to teach it in a convincing way so that those who are saying otherwise are convinced. Um, and again, they're said to be apt to teach. That's 2 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, the servant of the Lord must not strive, verse 24, but be gentle to all men, apt to teach, patient in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. Um, so 
this teaching role as well as that visiting role, uh, like daily care of the ecclesia, is a crucial one for these ecclesial leaders. Coming over then to Titus, we'll spend some time in Titus then, uh, considering what uh, the command was to this servant here. These are the opening verses of Titus, and we'll see in a moment that the elders themselves are not only to teach the word of God uh, soundly and convince those who gainsay it, but are to be a pattern in the way they live. Um, so we'll see some of these phrases coming out as we read uh, a passage about God's word in a moment. Uh, so it says, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of, our, of God our Saviour, to Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, the first thing to note, I think, about this opening of, of Titus chapter 1, which speaks about these elders, is the number of times you get this phrase according to or after in uh, these opening four verses. And it's the same word in the Greek. Um, so it says that Paul is according to the faith of God's elect. He's a servant of God according to the faith of God's elect. And the truth is after godliness. It doesn't mean it comes up later in time. It's according to, isn't it? It's after the pattern of, as we'll see in a moment. And God, uh, God gave Paul that command uh, to preach. So his command, uh, it says, the preaching was committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Saviour. And then Titus is also said to be according to the common faith. The relationship between Paul and Titus is one that is according to the common faith. He is his son after the common faith, isn't he? Um, and if you come over to Hebrews chapter 8, please, we see why that word is used so many times. Um, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, tells us about this pattern relationship. Um, so, speaking about the priests serving in the tabernacle... It says that they serve the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. So when you make something according to something else, it's following the pattern that God gives, isn't it? As Moses made the tabernacle, uh, after the pattern that showed him in the mountain, he had to follow it exactly. He said it four times to him. Uh, God told him four times, make sure you make it according to the pattern. Um, so the truth is after godliness, according to its pattern. Titus is after the common faith and is Paul's son, according to the pattern of that, of that preaching, isn't he? And that preaching is committed to Paul according to the pattern which God has set forth in his word when he commanded him to do so. So this idea of the pattern is established in Titus chapter 1. Uh, all these things happen according to God's pattern, don't they? And it's no different for the elders as well, because the elders also are to 
be according to the pattern of the word of God. Um, the tabernacle was built according to that, that pattern, wasn't it? It was the word of God, which was the pattern which Moses had to follow. Uh, and the elders are to have their lives based upon that pattern as well. And it should be evident in their lives in the way they live. So we know this uh, very well-known uh, set of verses about, about the word of God, don't we, in Second Timothy 3. Uh, that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished to all good works. But we see these phrases coming out in Titus about the elders as well. So it says that... Uh, the Holy Scriptures are able to make thee wise unto salvation. Well, it's the, el- it's the elders in Titus 1 verse 9 who are said to hold fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able, it's that same word, have the power to, uh, by sound doctrine, exhort and convince the gainsayers. Of course, it's not his own power. It's the Holy Scriptures, isn't it, which are empowering him to do that. It's giving faith, isn't it, to the reader? And that's what the, uh, the elder does in Titus 1 verse 9 again, holding fast that faithful word, which is in Christ Jesus. The word which is profitable for doctrine, again, which is the thing that the elder teaches, by sound doctrine to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. And he reproves, um, I think that's the word convinced that we get here, uh, in uh, Titus chapter 1 and verse 9. And lastly, there is an end result of that word of God working in a person's life, and particularly the elder's life here, is that they are truly furnished to all good works. And again, we see that, don't we? The opposite uh, is true of those who disobey the teaching of the elders. Verse 16 of Titus 1 says, They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. So if these uh, vain talkers and deceivers ignore the teaching and ignore the, the words and the character of the elder in their ecclesia, that word of God is not taking effect in their lives because that's what the elder is teaching in the first place, and they are to every good work reprobate. So these elders are the pattern of the word of God to their ecclesia. Um, and you might be able to think about people in your ecclesia who are like that, a pattern of God's word in the way they live, in the way they speak, in the way they teach from it. Um, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing to have in your ecclesia. And Timothy and Titus are told to be patterns, aren't they? This is not a, a theme that's just related to the according to word or uh, the links to Timothy. They're told to be patterns, in these uh, sections about eldership. So Timothy is told to be an example to the believers. Uh, that's the word for pattern we get in Hebrews 8, as we read earlier, according to the pattern. Now, Timothy, your life is that pattern. You are the example of the believers in word, in conversation, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. And how do you do that? By giving attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. And Titus himself is told by Paul to model the behaviour for the young men of his ecclesia. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. 
in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be uh, condemned. And as he said, that's the role of an elder, isn't it? Is to be an example to the flock, as it said in 1 Peter 5. The elders which are among you, I exhort, uh, who am also an elder, be, uh, feed the flock of God uh, willingly, taking the oversight, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. Um, so there's a real emphasis on that example, isn't there, set by the ecclesial elders and shepherds. In Titus, we get the idea of sound doctrine coming out an awful lot, don't we, as well. So how was the elder to do that? What did that involve in their ecclesia? So part of it is about teaching sound doctrine to their ecclesia, and the other side of the coin is about stopping unsound doctrine being taught in their ecclesia. Uh, so you can, as we've read verse 9 a number of times, let's read it again in verse 10. It says about the elder that they should hold fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. Um, so we get that word gainsayers there in Acts 13, verse 45. There's the ones who deny what Paul has said about uh, the need to turn in faith to Jesus rather than keeping the law of Moses. Uh, the Jews denied, it says in Acts chapter 13, verse 45. Um, But the Jews, when they saw the multitudes, were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting, that's the word there, and blaspheming. So you, uh, you don't need to go and keep faith and be justified by faith. You need to keep the law of Moses. So it's bringing in these different ideas, isn't it, about how salvation comes and denying the truth of what God has actually said in his word. That's the sort of thing the elders have to put a stop to in their ecclesia. Um, and they do that, verse 11 of Titus 1, by stopping their mouths. Um, basically, that person is not allowed to teach anymore in this ecclesia because we know what God's word says, and we know that is not what they're saying. It's the opposite of that. They're subverting houses, teaching things which they ought not. Uh, Titus is also told, verse 13, to rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. So we think about Jesus dealing with the, uh, the Jews, for example, in Mark 7, don't we, and having that argument about washing. You know, your disciples don't wash before they eat. What are they doing? They're breaking the tradition of the elders by doing that. And he goes on to say that you're making God's word of none effect by your tradition. You're teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. That's the sort of thing the elders warn against as well here. Not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men. Um, so when people say you should do this and there's no scriptural basis for doing so, that's the sort of thing where the elder steps in and says, actually, uh, we don't give heed to that here uh, in this ecclesia. And they sound harsh, don't they? They sound quite uh, dominating, but remember, rule is one of those words used about ecclesial eldership. And it's not the elder doing it of himself, is it? It's actually God's word. 
and that power which is providing the opportunity to, uh, to rebuke like that. And part of that role in making sure sound doctrine is taught is seeing the challenges that, challenges that are coming in the future. Come back, please, to Acts chapter 20, where we read about Paul speaking to those elders at Ephesus. And he warns them about what's coming in the future. Acts 20, verse 28. Uh, we've read this verse. Take heed, therefore, to yourselves and to the flock, which the Holy Spirit made you overseers, to feed the ecclesia of God. For this I know, after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone, night and day, with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among those which are sanctified. There's that able word again. Uh, same as Timothy and Titus. So Paul instructs them, there are wolves coming into your ecclesia in the future. Be aware of false doctrine before it arises, not when it arises. You know, preempt it and make sure your ecclesia is ready for it when it arises. That is also part of the role of an elder. I would suggest, to sort of have the ear to the ground about doctrinal trends which are afoot and giving the ecclesia the best chance of dealing with them by teaching about them before they actually uh, hit your ecclesia. So then, they're called elders. Uh, one of the questions we had was, how old should an elder be? Um, well, we're given some hints, but nothing definite. So I'm not going to give you an absolute answer, I'm afraid, um, but we might get some sort of idea. Um, they said, it said that they're not to be a novice. That's what Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy 3, verse 6 says, or the word is really new, one that's newly sprung up. Um, we can think about the parable of the sower, can't we, and, and the seeds springing up quickly. Um, so it's not someone who's recently converted and has to had the word sown in their heart. That would not be a good candidate for an elder. Uh, because of their, their newness to the faith, which does imply some sort of level of spiritual maturity, doesn't it? Not necessarily age, uh, but spiritual maturity at least. That, might come, that obviously does come with age sometimes, uh, but isn't exclusive to that. There isn't any specific command given about the age of an elder. It doesn't say they have to be 30 years old and upward, like you get uh, in other roles in uh, either tabernacle or temple worship. Um, but they are called elders, aren't they? And they're old enough to have children who believe the gospel and are obedient to it, so the children are grown up, or at least beginning to respond to God's word in the right way. And 1 Timothy chapter 5, uh, verse 1 says, Do not rebuke an elder, but entreat him as a father. And the elder women, there's the word elder again, as mothers. So they're to be viewed as fathers, fathers and mothers in the ecclesia. Um, the opposite of younger who are the ones who are to look to those elders. And of course that uh, could well be literal, couldn't it? But there is the very real sense in which uh, Paul was father to Titus after the faith, wasn't he? Not because he's his literal father, but because he had preached the gospel to him and Titus had responded. And we find that in, throughout the pages of the New Testament, don't we? Paul is a father to those at Corinth. 
Uh, he's a father to those at Thessalonica because he's the one who's preached the gospel to them. Um, so it's possible to be a father or a mother in an ecclesia without literal children. Uh, and that involves preaching the gospel to those people. So we might get a bit more of a clue about how old you do, do or don't have to be by looking at one of these Old Testament elders then. So, uh, come over please to Acts chapter 2, um, where we get this New Testament word for elder, and we're going to get away sort of into the, New Te- into the Old Testament by looking at Acts chapter 2 and a quotation that Peter makes. So in Acts chapter 2, we read about the old men uh, who are prophesied about in Joel. Uh, Verse 17, it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. So this word old men is just the word for elder. Um, Your elders shall dream dreams. Um, And it's quoting from Joel, isn't it? Peter makes that reference himself in verse 16. So by looking at Joel, we can find out the he- one of the Hebrew words that might be equivalent to the idea of elder in the New Testament. Let's go back to Joel, shall we? Um, Joel chapter 2, verse 28 it is. Um, it says, after, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. Um, so it's switched around here, isn't it? Old and young. Uh, but the word old men there is something like zaken in the Hebrew, which is equivalent to this word for elders or presbyteros in the New Testament. Um, it's used about Isaac, who died at 180, he was old. He was as one of those zaken, these old men. Um, we read about children's children are the crown of old men. So old men in the Old Testament have grandchildren. Um, children's children. And sometimes they have grey heads as well, although that isn't necessarily talking about your hair. I think it's probably also descriptive of the crown of glory, which comes... Uh, with those who have searched the scriptures for many years for wisdom. Um, So that crown of glory is a grey head, it says, uh, about the old men, because they've spent that time searching scripture. Uh, It's become a sign that they are wise in God's eyes, that they are that, that pattern of the word of God, as we saw from Titus. Um. Job says, he removeth away the speech of the trusty and taketh away the understanding of the aged. Um, So that would suggest that age alone doesn't make you an elder in scriptural terms. Just because you are the oldest member of your ecclesia doesn't mean you are an elder in spiritual terms. It's more to it than that, isn't there? There's the whole role to be performed, as we've seen uh, through the, the New Testament. Um, so it's the wisdom which is the most commonly character- associated characteristic with elders, not necessarily age. Um, it might well be that they are at the aged in your ecclesia, and that would be a very helpful thing, wouldn't it? Um, how many more years of reading and understanding scripture would they be able to provide to their ecclesia? They are apt to teach, aren't they, in that regard? 
experience of applying it every day throughout their life. That wisdom which is required. And they've had the chance to have literal faithful families who they can teach in order to train, in order to perform that role of bishopric, um, ruling their own house well. As we said, no age is given, so it's not necessarily the priority, although it can be a very helpful thing, definitely. Uh, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. Um, I think we'll skip through this bit. Um, You can have it afterwards if you like it. (laughs) Um, So, let's consider finally that Old Testament example of an elder, because it's a really good one to show exactly what that person does in the house of God. We've seen, haven't we, that they rule, they are over, overseers of the house of God, because they teach God's word. Um, So the elders rule well, don't they? They are over you in the Lord, it says in Thessalonians. Uh, And part of the bishop's role is to visit, to be a bishop, you have to bishop someone to visit them, uh, like God does, as we said. It's God who does that role, isn't it? Visiting people to save them. So where do we get this Old Testament equivalent of visiting then? Um, Well, again, let's use an Old Testament quotation in the New Testament. And uh, Hebrews 2 quotes from Psalm 8. What is the son of man that thou visitest him? And there's the bishop word, episkeptomai. Um, and we get the Old Testament equivalent as pakad this time. So that would suggest that that is the Old Testament word for a bishop, someone who visits, an overseer, is someone uh, uh, who God visits like the son of man here in Psalm 8. God is a bishop to, that, uh, to the son of man. So here, when I looked at uh, this in Strong's, here's how all the ways that that word is translated uh, in the Old Testament. And I think, uh, if you could read it from the back, you might be able to see some of the ways in which uh, it's translated are reminding us of what we've seen already in the New Testament about bishops or elders. So we can see things like appoint, you know, ordain elders in every city. They have the oversight. Uh, They are set over or they visit. These are all ways that this word pakad is translated. That broad spectrum of roles in the New Testament about bishops and elders and shepherds is found in this word in the Old Testament about uh, the visitor. And it's Joseph who provides a fantastic example of being a bishop. He's made bishop or overseer, he's put over the house upon two occasions. Maybe come back, please, to Genesis 39, where we get the the record of Joseph being put over Potiphar's house. It says, Genesis 39, uh, verse 3, his master saw that Yahweh was with him and that Yahweh made all that he did prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight and he served him. And he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, Yahweh blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. So as a result of this excellent bishop uh, here in Potiphar's house, this overseer who rules well and labours in the word and doctrine, Yahweh blesses the house, doesn't he? And everything in that house prospers. 
if your ecclesia has good elders who teach your, uh, your ecclesia the word of God, who visit uh, those who are in need in order to, to provide salvation, there is a blessing upon that house, isn't there? It is so well ordered that Potiphar can almost relinquish control to Joseph entirely, can't he? Uh, it says he knew nothing about what happened in his house save the bread uh, which he did eat. All he knew about was the fact that the bread appeared in front of him every day because Joseph had ordered that house so expertly. And the second time is when the captain of the guard uh, delivers the prisoners into Joseph's hand. Um, so chapter 40 and verse 4, we read about the, uh, the, the baker and the butler, don't we? And it says the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them and he served them. So he's made overseer, that's the same word, he's made overseer of those two men and he served them. So it's not a high and mighty position of rulership, is it, on its own? This is a service as well uh, to these men. And when they wake up uh, in the morning after their dreams, he notices, doesn't he? He notices uh, what uh, has happened to them. He says, he looked upon them, verse 6, and behold, they were sad. He spots instantly something is wrong with these people. Uh, and that reminded me of that, that proverb in Proverbs 27, verse 23. Know the face of your flock, it says. And Joseph, as a shepherd here, an overseer, certainly does that, doesn't he? He knows the face of his flock and there's something amiss. And straight away, he asks how he can help. Why do you look so sad today, he says. And they then talk to that overseer about their problem, don't they? Um, and he's the overseer of their house, it says in verse 3. Uh, he put them in ward in the house where Joseph was bound, and that's where Joseph is the overseer. So this idea of house is like the ecclesia, isn't it, uh, throughout the scriptures. They go and talk to him about that. There's that open relationship where they can do that, and they're not afraid uh, to uh, speak to Joseph about the reason for their sadness. And then the overseer gives them the interpretation for the difficult things they've heard. He's apt to teach, isn't he? He tells them exactly what God meant when he said those things. So there's the example of the teaching coming out again in Joseph. We also read about Joseph standing before Pharaoh. And again, he's made a ruler this time. He doesn't say he's made overseer, he's made ruler, which is that word we've seen throughout the New Testament for those who rule well, the elders. Um, he's made ruler, isn't he, over all of Egypt this time. Um, it's as if the training in the house of Potiphar then allows him to take care of the ecclesia of God in Egypt. That small level to, to bigger level transition occurs in Joseph's life, doesn't it, as well? Um, so, for example, chapter 40, verse 40, uh, 41, verse 40 says, um, Pharaoh says, Thou shalt be over my house. And according to thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. So he's over the house. That's the same word as made ruler over. Um, very similar idea to being an overseer again. And part of Joseph's advice is to bring others along with him to help with that role. Not to do it on his own, but to get other overseers to help the grain be distributed throughout Egypt when it's in time of famine. Um, so chapter 41, verse 34, he says, let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers. Let him 
Oversee, overseers, it's the same words we've got so far. Let him visit visitors. Um, it's that Pakad word again. Let him appoint officers over the land and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt. And let them gather the food uh, and then let them come to uh, those overseers and give them the food. So part of the uh, role of Joseph is to make sure others are doing it with him. It's not just him on his own. He wants that help so that it can be done in other places as well. Uh, the whole house of Egypt then is provided for, isn't it, by these group of overseers. Uh, and the Lord Jesus Christ alludes to this sort of thing, doesn't he? Who is that faithful and wise servant to give his household meat in due season? Uh, so that they don't say, my Lord delays is coming, and then turn, a, uh, turn aside. They are ready and waiting for the Lord's return. That's the part of the role of the overseer here, is to provide that meat in due season, so that they can uh, be ready for the Lord's return. Uh, and provision is made to share that work, and to ensure that people are fed when food is scarce. When we think about those men in Titus, those elders who had to stop those unruly mouths, uh, when teaching was going wrong, they had to provide that sound doctrine, didn't they? Exhort and convince the gainsayers. Um, and interestingly enough, these men are referred to in Psalm 105 as the elders. Um, he taught his senators wisdom, it says. He taught his old men wisdom. Um, so I think that's what it's referring to here, that Joseph was put in charge of these elders and then taught them how to do that job, and then they did it themselves as well. Um, he was teaching them the wisdom of God's word, wasn't he? Uh, and we think about Joseph's age. Well, he's an overseer, isn't he? He's, he's this bishop. Uh, but he's still called a young man when uh, the butler remembers him before Pharaoh. There was a young man in prison with me. And as we said, wisdom is the principal thing. Um, let Pharaoh look at a man who is discreet and wise and set him over the land. He does have literal children, doesn't he? Um, Ephraim and Manasseh are born at the end of chapter 41. And yet, he also has spiritual children, one of whom is Pharaoh himself. Um, chapter 45, verse 8. God has made me a father to Pharaoh because he's taught him God's word. And Pharaoh has responded by obeying it. Um, so he has physical and spiritual children and is in that sense their father. And they are obedient to him as the overseer, aren't they? And that can, uh, fits with what we considered about the age of the elders from earlier, doesn't it? There's not a given age, but wisdom is the most important thing, and the ability to perform the role is the most important thing uh, in your consideration of an elder. Um, so, some conclusions then, and I will stop. Uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, as we've seen when he was preaching on his first missionary journey, placed great importance, didn't he, on the setting up, the ordaining of elders in ecclesial life. Uh, and inspired scripture goes on to make that point over and over again, Old Testament and New Testament. That is how the house of God is blessed. Um, and that's because the elders had that crucial role in ensuring sound doctrine is taught and upheld in their ecclesias. And doctrine which is unsound is stopped and not allowed to enter into the flock. Spiritual wisdom is the primary focus in eldership. So look out for those in your ecclesia. Look out for the men in your ecclesia who showed that characteristic because that is what scripture uh, is saying an elder should be like. 
And Joseph shows a good example, doesn't he, about how an elder should rule well, providing his bread uh, for his household in due season, teaching uh, the people to feed them. Uh, so thank you for your attention. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org. If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.